welcome to the T2C Podcast. Here are your hosts, a double dose of Tyler and Christian. Welcome back to the T2C Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Savaitanaya. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Suavage underscore. No Christian today. Uh, he had some things to take care of. Uh, don't forget Tybo. Uh, you can make sure to follow him at the show's Twitter. It's at T2CFP. But today we're joined by friend of the show, uh, a mentor, a former coach of mine and current coach at Coastal Carolina, Chanticleers, one Mr. Josh Caraway. Josh, thanks for coming on today with us, man. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. Tyler, Tabo, it's always a good time to come on and talk a little shop with you guys. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I guess we should probably jump right out of the gate with it. Uh, the draft just ended uh, a couple weeks ago. We did end up with Bob Fesco on uh, last week. Josh, you probably don't know who that is. He runs a, a one of the more prominent radio shows here in Kansas City. Uh, and so we got to have him come on and talk a little bit about it. But uh, I was looking through coastal Carolina's football uh, feed on Twitter. Uh, Cause obviously I follow you and you're retweeting everything that comes across. Dude, you guys had 14 guys go pro this year. Yeah. Just a historic year for coastal Carolina in the NFL draft. And what a lot of people forget guys is that we've only been a college football program since 2003. So literally 19 years of being a college football program, that's not even being a division one program. And so in that short of a time, being able to put the amount of guys into the league or to give them league opportunities is pretty just remarkable, honestly. And it was a historic like weekend for us. We ended up having, if I got my numbers right, 11 guys that landed with NFL teams that have NFL opportunities because, I mean, you guys play ball. You guys know just as well as I do. That dream is to get to the NFL, right? And if you're on a college team, you're hoping that, you know, you get drafted. But if anything, you're just hoping that if you don't get drafted, whatever the case may be, that just one team will take a shot on you and just give you that opportunity. So just to know that 11 guys that were Shauna Clears last year had that opportunity moving into uh, the NFL offseason and the training camp and the mini camp season, I'm just – I'm stoked. I'm really excited, but I'm thrilled for my guys. I'm really proud of them because I know the work that those dudes have put in over their uh, three to four to five years at Coastal. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at it. You even had one guy that was the number number four overall draft in the CFL. So between the CFL, the NFL, and I think you guys may have had a couple go even to the USFL. Um, I mean, who who should we be looking at um, to maybe make an impact play um, here and there or a big splash going into OTAs. Uh, one name that steps out to me, uh, if I remember watching this person correctly, was uh, Teddy Gallagher, uh, who's now with the Panthers. Yeah, I actually talked to Teddy uh, just two days ago. We were working out in the uh, Coastal Weight Room facility, but um, he got that deal with the Panthers and uh, really excited for him. He's uh, going to head up there. He's going to go to their mini camp and is going to go through some training with them. And so uh, just like I said previously, it's all about getting your foot in the door, uh, meeting those coaches and proving what they see on film is what you're really about. So really excited for him, especially excited if you were uh, watching the uh, the draft. Our tight end, Isaiah Likely, got picked up by the Baltimore Ravens, which AFC North. So not having to deal with, you know, the whole Chiefs 
situation. So you guys are good there. Uh, but with the way that Lamar Jackson throws it around so much and uses tight ends, I think you've got a huge opportunity to see Isaiah make a pretty immediate impact. I don't know if you guys watched a lot of our games. I know that we were um, on ESPN from, from time to time, but we were able to use Isaiah a bunch because you're looking at a lot of uh, just uh, mismatches with linebackers, things of that nature. And so um, he's got a huge body, but he's able to run and he's able to really use his athleticism and his catching ability to go make plays. He's not just a blocking tight end. So I'm really excited to see how uh, the guys over in Baltimore end up using him. Yeah. I mean, with uh, Marquise Brown moving out, um, that's going to open up a spot there and likely, I mean, he's a big dude. He's, he's not small by any means. I, I know I watched him uh, here and there, definitely watched quite a bit of film. Six foot four, 240 pounds. Uh, he's now going to wear the number 80 for Baltimore. But watching him in college reminded me a lot of what Travis Kelsey looked like in Cincinnati. Oh, that's a, that's a big I, comparison. I, I was really <laughs> mad. Like, obviously, obviously he's not, uh, he wasn't a high pick. Neither was Travis Kelsey. Uh, And that's just kind of what you see when you come from a non-Power 5 school. It's not indicative on how good the players are. It's just how much exposure they realistically get. But that dude, Isaiah Likely, man, him and Grayson McCall were just, I mean, lights out. I would say he's likely to get a shot in Baltimore (laughs) because of the system that they have. And they were already leaning that way uh, before the Marquise Brown uh, vacancy, but, uh, I, you know, RG three said, that's kind of what, uh, made the decision for Hollywood to, to try and get out of Baltimore. You know, the system that they're going to be in is going to be tight end and running back heavy. Um, and that's just what Lamar's tendencies lead to anyways. So I, you know, there's a good shot. He has, you know, a chance to make some impact plays on Baltimore. You know, I'm going to be 80 years old and still see Isaiah's meme with, four just all over the internet like i won't be able to get off twitter without seeing that meme uh somewhere but uh yeah i think he's going to be able to uh make a splash and make a splash early and then if you guys want to stay in the afc north the other guy that we had drafted was our outside linebacker slash uh defensive end rush in and his name is jeffrey gunner and he actually got drafted by the Bengals. and so he's going to be uh putting up some pressure on some quarterbacks uh, coming from a team that just got done uh, playing in the Super Bowl. So just really excited for Jeff being able to uh, join a squad that knows what it takes to win and is going to be able to utilize him to try to get back to that game uh, come this uh, January. That's absolutely fantastic. Like you guys have had some some dudes come out of there. And uh, we talked about it last time when you were on, um, and I believe it was your your second year in coastal and out of nowhere you guys go on like a four or five game win streak and now you're headlining the pat mcafee show every single week and we talked we talked about it last team last time and how um like you're you're trying to keep guys just here in the moment be present be paying attention to what you're doing and now you know you go into into this year uh, a little post pandemic. Um, there's not so much moving around. Your guys' schedule is kind of set in stone. You don't get to go face a team like BYU, who's ranked um, 
you know, there, there's not the same logistics that were going on and ultimately not being a power five that ends you up not being kind of a marquee name like you were the year before. Um, what, what is that like with the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows and obviously having your name on, uh, on national news is great for recruits. What is, how did, how were you guys able to, um, move forward with recruits while your name, while, while the Chanticleers weren't making national headlines every week? You know, that's a great question. And when I was on the show last kind of talked about what a journey it's been with coastal, right? When I got here in January of 2017, we had just made that jump from FCS to FBS. So you, you go from playing, you know, your university of, you know, South Dakota or South Dakota States, great football teams, but all of a sudden you're playing the Cornhuskers, right? You're uh, playing um, all of these teams, uh, Ohio State, you're playing Kent State. I'm thinking about all these mid Midwestern teams. Uh, but then obviously for us, that means, you know, Clemson, that means South Carolina, that means uh, our neighbors up in the uh, North and North Carolina. And so you had to come ready and there wasn't a lot of time to adapt to that. And uh, 17, 18 and 19, those were definitely growing years for us. Uh, went three and nine and uh, 17 and then uh, two back-to-back five and seven seasons. And what was so neat was that when we hit 2020 and you didn't even know if we were going to be able to have a season was that our guys just poured into the team and they were tired of being at the bottom of every preseason list and hearing what, you know, this group had to say about them or that group had to say about them. And then uh, you saw what happened in 2020. We rolled off 11 straight wins and how uh, crazy of a situation that was and then uh to go to 2021 just this past season and you win 11 games again and we were fortunate enough to go to the uh to uh, the uh, cure bowl down in orlando had a great time universal go ride the uh, the velocicoaster best roller coaster i've ever been on by the way <laughs> uh had to put that in there but um just what a phenomenal just accomplishment to be able to win coastal's first bowl game this past year and what a special moment that was but just like we talked about with all these uh, guys that got uh, opportunities in professional football, we've got a lot of spots to fill. And it's exciting because the guys that we have to step into those roles are some of the like most talented guys that we've ever recruited to Coastal because uh, these guys that we've got now as freshmen, they were juniors in high school during the 2020 season. And so they've seen us on TV and they've seen ball at the beach and they've seen all of the locker room antics and all the fun and all the hard work that we put in, but now it's their turn. And so it's about uh, getting them on the same page and realizing that all of those things that they saw for our 2020 and our 2021 seasons, that those don't just happen, right? That uh, it comes from not just what you do during the fall, but it comes during those spring practices uh, for us, which would be in February when it's freezing cold outside as far as freezing cold as the beach could be. And then it comes through all of those uh, fourth quarter conditioning programs. We're working on speed, agility, uh, weight training, all those different things. And obviously we have a summer uh, just right up here on deck where we're going to be out there and training um, just to get ready for fall camp. But there's a lot of work to be put in. And so it's a really exciting feeling to think about what we can do with this 2022 class our uh, our theme this year, guys, is uh, forward, the number four, and then going forward because uh, you know we've had some success the past two years, but this 2022 class, we collectively haven't done anything yet. And so, what are we going to do to take those steps forward to not 
rest on our laurels and to look backwards on what the Shawnee players have done in the past, but what we can do with this next season. And um, it's exciting because as you mentioned, BYU isn't on the, on the schedule. And I just love to bring up that they were never on the schedule except for 48 hours before we played the game. But, um, <laughs> but what is exciting though, is that a uh, conference realignment, we've got some new Sunbelt teams guys. So we're all really excited about that, bringing some new teams into uh, our conference to compete against them this fall. You know, I I think you guys have a, a a wonderful program and a good situation right now. You know, you guys have some, you know, tests ahead of you uh, for sure. Um, I know there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, are just looking for that one shot to, you know, a team to take a, sh- a chance on them and all the guys that came out of Coastal Carolina. I do wish them the best of luck. But there is a, a, a position specifically that I want to talk about, and that position is is quarterback. Um, you know, I, I don't per se follow college sports as much as, uh, uh, our show, our absent show counterpart, uh, Mr. Christian Folsom. Um, so I didn't really know much about coastal Carolina, uh, before doing some research, before, uh, for this podcast. Uh, the one thing that I did know and recognize about coastal Carolina is that, uh, a one Tyler Thigpen, uh, used to play for the chiefs back in 07 and 08. Um, and I just want to say that I hope you're coaching your quarterbacks a little bit better than uh, Mr. Tyler Thigpen, uh, the way he performed for my beloved team. Um, <laughs> I, we only had him for two years, and I'm very thankful um, because those were not two of the better years in Chiefs history. Um, but I know you don't have anything to do with him, so <laughs> I can't give you too much flack for it. Um, but, well, uh, you're a Titans fan, right? Yes, I am a Titans fan, Tybo. But what you'll what you'll know is is that going into the facility there in Conway, uh, when you uh, come to where the uh, stadium's at, you'll see all of our NFL players. You've got Tyler Thigpen right there. But um, I have no doubt that uh, the guy that we've got right now, Grayson McCall, who's been our uh, starter since uh, 2020, that um, he'll definitely get his opportunity uh, here here soon to be able to showcase his talents. And who knows, maybe we'll be on this podcast. Uh, the next I'm talking about wherever he lands. So, you know, you think Coast Carolina, we're going to put some quarterbacks into the league before too long. <laughs> Tyler said he might be the next Josh Allen. So that kid's good, man. <laughs> man, that is a, uh, that's a statement right there. That is, that is a statement for sure. I mean, he's, he's got the legs. I've seen him be able to take hits. He's got the arm strength and realistically he's got better accuracy in college than, than Josh Allen did. Both are coming from non-Power 5 conferences, taking on teams that were supposed to be way better than, than the team that they're leading and still coming out with wins where they're supposed to be and, and just edging ahead at every spot, man. I think ever, I've watched as much uh, Grayson McCall as I could have while not watching the games, watching a lot of going back and like watching tape and seeing highlights and stuff. Um, and then more so even just like full drive segments, the kid looks like he's got it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Grayson has a lot of ability, a lot of talent. Um, he's from the Charlotte area. And, uh, again, I work on the offensive side of the ball when I'm not working with, uh, the special teams. So worked with the running backs up through 2020 and then, uh, for uh, 2021. And right now I'm working with the wide receivers. So. I get to see firsthand uh, some of the uh, throws he's able to make, you know, not only in games, but in, but in practice. 
And um, he's definitely got that ability. And uh, what's really neat is to kind of see his leadership progress over the years. His first start was when we were on the road uh, versus Kansas in 2020. So you're thinking power five opponent far from home. Is he ready for this moment? And he was definitely ready. And we were able to win that game and obviously kind of start the uh, winning streak that uh, we've been on and kind of riding that wave. But uh, again, he's he's been working really, really hard. Um, expecting to have a pretty big season out of um, him this up this upcoming season for sure. He'll be uh, he'll be a senior this year, right, McCall? Now <laughs> I have to think for a second because COVID gave everybody an extra year. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah, I'm not thinking about that. Yeah, so I think technically he'll be a junior this this year. Tech technically, technically. Do you all of the super think seniors? He stays? Do you think he stays uh, another year after that, or do you think he's going to try to declare next year? Man, I um, say much to whether uh, Grayson will test the waters for his uh, NFL opportunities. What I can tell you guys to do is to uh, go check, go check his career stats, go check his 2021 stats versus some of those guys from some of those other Power Five schools, some of those guys that maybe are playing um, for. Uh, college uh, football playoff, right? Go check out some of their numbers and compare them with Grayson's and uh, about the type of season he, he, he could have. And I'll, I'll let you guys kind of connect the dots there he, on that one. His touchdown to interception ratio is insane. Like, you know, both years, 26 to three, 27 to three. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's impressive in and of itself, regardless of who you're playing against. But um, speaking of the draft, um, uh, we're going to, switch gears from college to NFL real quick. Cause I know you're a Titans fan and I got some, uh, you know, the Titans have been in the headlines a little bit. The media trying to stir some stuff up. Actually, um, so, can I, can I air my Titans grievances just for go, a minute? Go right ahead. I, I would love to hear. So just to give a little background, obviously, uh, because of my accent, I'm from Tennessee, uh, grew up a huge, uh, Tennessee Titans fan. And so it's been awesome for the past couple of years uh, to see the success that they've had under coach uh, Vrabel. Um, again, like we're playing at the same time they're playing. So it's not like I can be locked into exactly what they're doing on a Sunday because I'm reviewing the game that we just played, you know, uh, grading it, trying to get ready for whichever opponent we have. Um, especially if it's a short week and we're playing on Thursday, I have just limited time to actually watch the NFL, but here's what I do know about the Titans being a Titans fan is that uh, been the AFC South champs for the last two years, guys. Last two years. And you know what? How many playoff wins has that equated to? Zero. And that's just a little bit frustrating. <laughs> just a little bit frustrating for me. And I'm a guy that's even working in football and not actually there in Tennessee, locked into every single game. And then I think even this uh, past season, guys, they went 12-5 and five and were the number one seed in the uh, AFC had had the buy. And so I'm sitting back thinking, okay, this is pretty exciting. I'm not trying to get my hopes up. I'm not thinking like this is the Super Bowl. Yeah, with, never uh, get your hopes with up. Like, <laughs> right, you know, because I literally have that one play of Kevin Dyson just rolling out there on the one-yard line versus the Rams. That's good. It's going to be stamped into my memory for forever. Yeah. But, you know, it, like, I, like I said, 12-5, and five, great season, feeling pretty good. And then, you know, you lay an egg versus the Bengals and you're just, oh, you're just so frustrated. So uh, you kind of have to hit the drawing board and think, what do we need 
just to get over that hump because I think both of you would agree with me and y'all are y'all are Chiefs people. Henry, the best running backs, fair? Yep. Easily. The best. Maybe, yeah, like the best running back. So, okay, so you've got that. You've got Tannehill who has two years left on his con- contract, which some people would say like, oh, he's a little bit older. But, man, I'm a football coach. On the tape, see what he's done. And he's won them football games. So I'm good with that. But the one thing that I was uh, more kind of tapped into when I was uh, looking at the draft, other than where did the shots land, was that, you know, we lost Julio Jones. He got released. And then, um, you know, A.J. Brown ended up being uh, sent to the Eagles because of uh, trading up in the uh, draft and everything. So I was thinking we need some type of wide receiver. Like we need wide receivers again because you can't give the rock to uh, Henry every single play. I mean, I'm an old school grinded out guy. I wish you could do that, but uh, you see what happens they, when you do do it because you know the season he was having before he got hurt. Exactly, exactly. So I was really excited and curious from just purely a fan perspective, trying to separate myself from coaching. Was what type of talent are they going to bring in? Uh, not only to take the pressure off of Henry in the backfield, but since they lost so much talent as far as wide receiver goes and wh- where they went from that. And they ended up picking uh, the player, the wide receiver from Arkansas, um, Traylon Burks, I believe is his name, and he's sharp. So I'm really excited to see how they end up using him uh, in this upcoming season. Burks is, Burks is really, really nice. I, I wouldn't be too afraid of that. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about the, uh, the comments that, uh, Ryan Tannehill had to say on the uh, on the stand. <laughs> oh, about that's not my job to mentor the new yep. quarterback, right? <laughs> well, um, let me let me say this first, guys. Is that number one? I was supposed to coach against Lake Willis for that game day game in 2020. It's supposed to be Liberty mm-hmm. versus Coastal uh, in Conway, and then that's when a big uh, COVID outbreak happened, and we had to switch it up, and that ended up being the BYU game. But if you remember, we actually still played Liberty that year, except it was in the bowl game. And so we're down in Orlando and Malik Willis, man, he's out there. And let me tell you, he is very talented, man. He is a phenomenal athlete, very, very gifted. He gave us uh, a run for our money the whole night, man, because that arm is the real deal. He's able to launch it 60 yards down, but uh, don't. Don't just worry about how far he can throw it because the second that you put your guard down and you think that you can lose contain on the pocket, man, next thing you know, he is rolling and he won't just make you miss, but uh, he'll layer or he'll lower his shoulder down and uh, he'll make you hit the ground before he does. So uh, I, I think he's a very talented quarterback. He's got a huge ceiling in my opinion, just as a guy that's uh, you know, coached a game against him and seeing what he's capable of now concerning the actual comments. Uh, I have to think of it like this. The NFL guys, correct? Real life job, fair? It's it's different from a college perspective in my eyes because uh, I think I've got the unpopular opinion here. I'm not necessarily mad about what Tannehill said. Uh, in college, you bring in young guys and you're mentoring them and bringing them up because there is a final point where you can no longer be with that program you're going to graduate you're going to get your you're going to get your degree um in today's day and age there's a transfer portal or um you might be a grad transfer you're thinking man i'm going to go get my uh, master's somewhere else i still have the eligibility left but you're training up for that next guy nfl 
it's a little bit different. I'm trying to feed my wife, my my kids, my family. Um, I'm trying to make sure the bills get paid. And uh, and I can see why everybody is uh, so frustrated by that because you want to see that team mentality, you know, that growth perspective and all those things. But you got to think about Ryan Tannehill in the, in the back of his mind is that uh, if Malik ends up doing as good or better than him, it's like next thing you know, he's he's on the bench. Next thing he knows, he's cut. Next thing he knows, he's trying to figure out a way to provide for his family. And so uh, maybe I see it in a different way than a lot of the fans see it. But um, I can definitely understand why Tannehill made those r- remarks. But then obviously I'm a football coach and kind of see it from that other angle where you want to bring people in. Uh, you want to be able to mentor them in your system. There's no doubt that he knows things about that offense, having worked in it for a little bit that uh, Malik would need to know as he's, you know, continued to be mentored as a Titans quarterback. So uh, I can definitely see both sides of the uh, coin, but that's the great thing about sports and a great thing uh, about life really is uh, competition makes you better, man. And I have no doubt there's going to be a phenomenal quarterback competition in that quarterback room uh, from now up until that uh, first, first game. And I think it's a Monday night game, uh, maybe versus the bills. Did I see that right? Um, I haven't seen the schedules come out yet. Uh, that might be week two. Only heard rumors. I don't. I thought I saw some I, it like is, oh Monday do, night. Yeah, they do have a Monday night game against the Bills. I think that uh, is week yeah. two. Usually, week one Monday is like kickoff from uh, Super Bowl champions uh, versus another big game uh, is usually to kick off the season. Uh, but you were talking about, and I've had this conversation with a couple people. We we're talking, you know, you're talking about. Tannehill said, I'm not supposed to be, or I'm, I don't think I'm going to be his mentor or supposed to be his mentor. That's not my job. Should we not be separating the word mentor from teammate? Because the things that people were at, like the thing that the uh, reporters were asking Tannehill is basic teammate stuff, like film practice, helping coach him up. A mentor is somebody who you would get as like in in my mind and and how some of the other people see it is like somebody who's going to be sacrificing a lot of themselves or their time to take hours out of their day to help them practice their craft specifically. And that's not something that I would expect out of any player who's currently playing and trying to make a roster spot and trying to feed their family to do are, are, are those two separate things that we should, we should or, uh, separate or should we be realistically putting a teammate and a mentor together? You know, right. Yeah. You go ahead, Tabo. I was just, I was just going to say, like, I, I do think the, it would, the media gave him a loaded question and they were trying to bait him to say something to make headlines and he, and he, it was a success. Um, I, I think that saying that, you know, having that tagline out there, you know, they can pull that quote out of context and say, like, I don't want to be Malik Willis's mentor. And, you know, it can, that can make him seem to be a bad teammate, you know, that type of thing. Um, I, I agree with you guys. I, I don't think it's really his job per se to be his mentor, but, you know, maybe he needs a little bit of media coaching from an agent or somebody else on the sidelines. And it's like, it's probably not the best thing to like have a direct quote with, you know, like it, 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 it sends the wrong message hourly and, you know, you can have your personal feelings about it, but you might want to just like not try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree right there. Uh, the media, anybody that uh, writes any type of content that they're wanting to get other people to read, they want that clickbait. 
title to get people just reeled into it. So, yeah. um, and I even remember scrolling on my own phone and, you know, I stopped when I saw that quote because it caught my eye. But um, listen, I will tell you this much. Malik Willis, Ryan Tannehill, they are athletes. They've been on championship teams, teams that have won. And they know that if everybody in the building is working together and being a good teammate and thinking about the team more than him or herself, then that's when winning happens. And when winning happens, that's when all of the good things that, you know, you see all the the notoriety for, you know, happens. So I have no doubt that they'll be able to uh, build their relationship. But as far as what the headline was that day, I'm sh- I'm sure they got it, though. No doubt. So as as a Titans fan. How did you feel about the quarterback situation? You know, like, did you feel pre-draft that Tannehill was somebody that could get you to the point where you wanted to be at Super Bowl and Super Bowl champion? And then after the draft, what do you feel is going to come out of the quarterback room um, uh, this season? Yeah, good question. So, again, not having watched a ton of their games, like as detailed as maybe you know, my father who's sitting in his armchair every Sunday yeah. with Sunday, you know, NFL ticket pulled up is that, um, again, I look at the numbers. I try to look at, look at tape and winning as hard as it is winning in the NFL, a feat, man, like every single win should be celebrated. And even when I look at our team, I'm like, guys, it's hard to win a football game. Just the hours that go into studying game film and game planning and little procedural technical things that you've got to be like really tapped into. It's difficult to do. And to do that for 16 weeks straight is nothing short of a miracle. If you can come out on the other side of that with more wins and losses and even to be the number one team in the AFC. And so when I look at Tannehill, man, um, you know, I don't have the numbers right out in front of me, but if you're looking at a quarterback, you're looking at a leader on the football team. You're looking at a guy, at least on the offensive side of the ball, that touches the ball every single play. I'd be thinking, if you're winning 12 games and putting your team in a position to be the number one overall seed in one conference of the National Football League, that merits some type of contract extension, some type of contract talk. Um, don't get me wrong. like I'm a college football coach. We're always thinking about recruiting and bringing in uh, talent that's going to be able to compete and to be able to uh, set us up for future growth and future success. But man, um, if there's a guy on my roster that is ball games for us, I'm going to keep him on the on the field. I'm going to give him that scholarship. So I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the criticism maybe is a little unfounded at at times. Um, but I feel like it's always easier to criticize when you're not involved with it or you're standing on the outside. I think you guys would it would agree with me on that, whether it's a football game, whether it's a Marvel movie. I know Dr. Strange just came out and people are hating on that or it's like you either hate it or you love it. It's like Ryan Tannehill, you either hate it or you love it. And yeah. so um I so I think you I think we need to take a step back some sometimes and say we're like at least as a Titans fan, we've had some really good success with him at quarterback. Why are people so angry? You know, and I talked about, oh yeah, we want to win playoff games, but Again, let's look at the whole picture here, guys, before we make any drastic choices. For sure. Do you – I mean, having played against Malik, do you think he's going to take his job eventually? Do you think uh, it happens this year or next year? Man, Malik is talented. He is super talented. I think he will uh, definitely challenge 
Tannehill. I think there'll be some yeah. battles within that quarterback room. Will he take the job? Not, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, you guys, guys like uh, Tom Brady, you know, when Drew Bledsoe went down, if he was, you know, expecting that to happen, right? Or um, I always think, you know, how much of a mentor was Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers back in the day? And so uh, I think some of those harder times, right, maybe even mold the type of competitor that can put out products like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers that, you know, when you talk about quarterback greatness, those are two that come to mind right there. So uh, it's just really as a, just a pure football fan and as a Titans guy, uh, it's pretty exciting to think about what could happen on that field and within that room in the uh, next year or so considering the start quarterback. I think that's a really good way to look at that. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, competition makes us better, man. You don't get better by just the status quo, right? But you get somebody in there that is going to challenge you a little bit. Next thing you know, you're waking up at 5 a.m. to go jump rope and you've never done that in your whole life. (laughs) Um, Well, we do know, you were talking about the schedule a little bit. We do know uh, a couple of the games that are coming out. I know the the Titans have the Buffalo Bills game on a Monday night. Uh, The Chiefs do have the first ever Thursday night game on Amazon uh, in week two uh, against the Chargers. Uh, We don't know the rest of the schedule at this time, although we do know that the Tennessee Titans will be heading back to Kansas City playing the Chiefs in Arrowhead. We know what's happened the last couple times that that's happened. How are you feeling about this season, knowing that there's no A.J. Brown, there's no Julio Jones? Things are kind of looking a little rocky down in Nashville. Oh, no doubt, man. No doubt. You hit the nail right on the head right there. But kind of like what I was saying about my own football squad or our own football squad in Conway is that we've got a lot of young guys. and We're going to see what these uh, young guys can do, what these new guys can add to the uh, field. So, um New talent or new people can be scary, but it could be just as exciting right there. So um, it takes more to win a football game than just Patrick Mahomes, you Kansas City guys. So it'll be exciting uh, to see what that matchup looks like. I know, (laughs) hey, listen, Kansas City, and hey, you guys can talk about it, man, because uh, y'all have had the upper hand the last couple of times, and I have no shame in saying that. And uh, as a guy that lived in the Midwest there for a little bit, I know that the Kansas City faithful are not to be trifled with. So uh, I'm just going to keep quiet. I'm going to keep my head down, and I'm going to let uh, the Titans, their performance out on the field there at Arrowhead, do my talking for me, guys. <laughs> I don't know. We may have to get you back on that week, either for a pregame or a postgame. See how that goes. I know you'll be busy, but if we get you on for like five minutes, we may have to do it. Just have a quick 15-minute just trash talk. Just <laughs> yes, sir. Really, really, really get after it, right? And we'll see you in the parking lot <laughs> after the game. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> well, um, I know you don't get to watch a whole lot because of what you do. What are kind of your thoughts coming up for this season? What are your thoughts? I know um, Caleb um had messaged me i let him know that you were coming on he was excited to listen to you come back on uh and he wanted to know your thoughts on uh what you think of the qb prospects this year uh, if you have an opinion were you know compared to other years were they picked where they should have been and then how do you feel about the season and how it will go for specific teams 
um, either a repeat for the Bengals, the chiefs coming back, even though they're riddled with, with rookies, um, the, the Rams coming back full of vets kind of, kind of what are your thoughts across the whole league as well? Man, just a lot in that question, but short answer is, is that I'm expecting Joe Burrow who spent time at Ohio state, won a championship down in Baton Rouge and then is able to go to the biggest game in football with the Bengals. You can't tell me that that man is not just completely chomping at the bit to get back to the Super Bowl. And so I think that the Bengals, if I had to pick a team from the AFC that was like, man, they're going to come out firing, I think it's going to be them, truthfully. I think they're going to be rolling. I think they're going to be rolling quick. And I think that uh, they've just got one thing on their mind, and that's just to get back uh, into that big, big game and see if it can't go down a little bit differently. Um, and then obviously you've got over on the NFC side, uh, the uh, Chargers. Now y'all have to fill me in. The, uh, did the Chargers, re- or excuse me, the uh, Rams, did they didn't lose anybody pivotal, did they? They still have Aaron Donald right on the defensive side. Did they have any they major lost, additions uh, or, or subtractions? They lost Von Miller. They lost uh, Robert Woods and OBJ. Um, so their their top receiver, I mean, he's a good receiver to yeah. have. It's Cooper Cup, but I don't know who they have behind him. Um, now, Von Miller went – did he go to the Bills? Yeah. Okay, so that happened right there. So you've got some missing – you've got some missing pieces there. But uh, Sean McVay, one of the youngest, one of the, one of the brightest men, um, always looking big, big picture, uh, have a strong feeling they'll be able to bounce back from that. Also, uh, coaching buddy of mine, Nick Jones out at, out at the Rams, got to give him a shout out. Uh, think he's going to have, have the boys right, uh, and get them ready to, uh, make a repeat per performance. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see either one of them kind of trailing off too much. My question really is for you guys is that I know Kansas city, you know, you have, like just a phenom at quarterback and uh, you've got the pieces. What do you think is holding Kansas city back? And like, you know, Tybo, you can talk Tyler, you, you could talk, but I'm just kind of curious because I always see, you know, Kansas city hanging, 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 but it's kind of in the same position as the Titans. Is it, are they ever, are they going to be able to get over, you know, that, that, that hump and get back to where they were just a couple years ago. So I was just curious about what y'all's thoughts on it were. Before I get to the Chiefs, I wanted to circle back on the the Bengals and where you thought they were or think they're going to be. Um, the one thing that could and more than likely will end up holding them back, um, just like it did in Joe Burrow's rookie year, was that he was the most touched quarterback in the league by far last year. Um, and that will be a big thing that if that continues to happen, I in my mind, if that continues to happen, he's going to be the next Andrew Luck. And that's going to be really, really sad because obviously he's talented and he can take them places. But if they don't start investing in that offensive line, it's going to be a really tough time there in Cincinnati. And there's not a whole lot left in Cincinnati outside the Bengals. Well, they got better. I know they added a big name in free agency. Um, they they added one tackle in the fourth round out of the draft. Um, so they they've at least attempted to. Uh, fix that issue you know I I think if they're going to stay competitive it's going to be how well the coaching staff does address those issues they also didn't get to the quarterback um, 
that great last year. So that's that's becoming a more in, important aspect of the of the game today. So if if they can fix the line on both sides of the ball, you know they're going to be a perennial contender. But sure. Um, and then getting to the Chiefs, I think Tybo and I are probably on the same side. Um, offense clearly isn't the issue, no matter losing Tyreek. Obviously, that one's tough, um, but there are a lot of holes to fill across the entire team. And uh, anytime you lose a top five, top three receiver in the league, that's that's not going to be good. Look at the Packers. They're going to be in a much worse situation than the <laughs> Chiefs are. Um but realistically, the thing that is was holding the Chiefs back, in, in my mind, was clearly defense. Uh, when Bob Sutton was there, that was the, the defensive coordinator before we won the Super Bowl. We were 31st, 32nd in the league overall. You bring in Steve Spagnuolo, and, and, and it really hasn't gotten any better. I think the highest we've gotten uh, for a full season is um, uh, 23rd. Uh, ranked throughout the in, the in the league. So it, it hasn't been good. We've gotten rid of some old guys, Tyron Matthew. It, it hurts to see, obviously, a player like that go, as I'm sure you could imagine. Uh, but we got rid of a guy in Daniel Sorensen that everybody is very happy to get rid of. Um, getting no more Ben Neiman. No more Ben Neiman. And then bringing in a bunch of a bunch of young guys um, from teams. I, I don't think that you guys played, but I mean, we pulled in a bunch of corners from a bunch of non-Power 5 schools, uh, that would be something I would want you to cover here maybe in a little bit um, and just talk about the depth of play uh, at the skill positions um, uh, there outside of the Power 5 because you guys have have clearly a lot of talent that come into the league and, and just ball out. Look at Josh Norman. Right. And before I even talk about that, I'll finish up my one little thought about the Bengals I, I didn't mention is that, you know, Tybo, you were talking about them getting a, a pass rush off the edge. Hey, they got my boy Jeff Gunner now. So uh, we're going to be able to see a little bit more of that. And I didn't even, you know, think to mention this, but um, some of our other guys, we've had two more land with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Shamari Jones, our running back, number five this past year. And then Javon Hiley, uh, our wide receiver over um, our ex starting ex wide receiver. Um, I think, got to check my math, but the leading all-time uh, receiving yards uh, player in Coastal Carolina football history. He's with the Bengals now, too. So I've got three former shots that are with the Bengals right now. So uh, I think I'm, other than the Titans, I might have to be a Bengals fan just because of uh, sheer math right there. So I know all of us over at Coastal are really fired up about that and hoping that uh, they do well right there. But, um, Tyler, you asked a question about the depth, the power five, the G5, basically, right? You were just yes, about that? Yeah, so what I think is interesting that you guys are seeing now, because you guys watch a lot of the movement between the college ranks and the NFL, is that, you know, it's 2022. You would say maybe even 10 or more years ago that there was this giant gap, right, between your Tennessees, your Alabamas, your Floridas, your Georgias. I'm naming a bunch of SEC teams because that I grew up on. And then all of your group of fives, right? You know, like that gap between them and Memphis or Alabama, Birmingham, right? Or Louisiana Tech. They're just, the gulf was just so huge, right? But what I've seen in my short time at Coastal is that that gap between P5 and G5 as far as the athletes 
getting just smaller and smaller and it's continuing to dwindle because you can look at all of the draft results. There are a ton of players from group of five schools that are getting drafted all over the place. There are tons of group of five schools that are making uh, runs to get in. Well, Cincinnati did it this year. They got into the college football playoff, which is a huge thing. Uh, there was us in 2020 uh, at 11 and 0, and we were thinking that we might have a shot. And then you even have with all this conference realignment, you have teams like Central Florida, Houston, and Cincinnati themselves that have made that jump. And now they're going to be joining the Big 12. So I just think that you're starting to see more of that same caliber athlete at all of these institutions because, and I think we're a great example of it, is that gone are the days where you have to be at this blue chip, big time, 100-year-old institution for you to get NFL looks. And that you could be at this school in Conway, South Carolina by, by, the, by the beach. We had all 32 NFL teams in our offices over the past year. And so um, from a recruiting standpoint, that's great because uh, I'm talking to student athletes that, you know, obviously, you know, get courted by a lot of different schools. And, uh, you know, it could be a very attractive thing to say, hey, you know, you can go to uh, this this school, right, where, you know, your dad went to or, you know, a lot of people see on TV or you can make an impact very, very quickly here at Coastal. Right. And we have just as many guys going to the league. We have more guys going to the league uh, than some of the big schools in some cases. Texas. And so it's just, <laughs> I didn't say it. I did not say it. Did not mention any institutions there, but um, yeah. So you're just, you're just saying that the talent spread, I guess is uh, being just distributed way further across the board instead of just centrally located in all of these um, power five blue chip, Institutions that you know every everybody knows though, and I'm saying that to uh, two guys that you know I we were or at least me and Tyler were in Nebraska for a moment uh, uh, together when I was coaching you, Tyler, and you know it's all you know uh, go big red corn corn huskers down there in Lincoln and everything, but people are realizing that I don't I don't have to go to a uh, Nebraska Lincoln to be picked up by the league anymore, and that's a really really cool thing, and that's actually another reason why I'm in favor of them expanding the college football playoff to more than four teams, but that's a completely different yeah. story entirely. <laughs> if, if they're, if you're good, they'll find you, you know, it doesn't, right. you know, um, it doesn't matter where you go. It, well, in a certain, in a sense, but you know, your options are wide open to still be found by the NFL because you know, they, the scouts and everybody go, so deep and do so much research nowadays that, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to be at a big school. That's right. Here's, here's what I thought that was really cool. Round were two players selected from group of five schools. I believe one, one was since Cincinnati. Um, I can't remember the other one, but I think it was a Mac school. And then there were two guys that were picked from uh, FCS schools, which was formerly one double a player from Northern Iowa and then a player from UT Chattanooga. And so just throw everything out the window about you've got to be at this big name institution to get looks because I'm getting guys from the FCS level that are being drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. And if that's not a, a testament to talent, could be anywhere. I don't know what is. You're right. I mean, look at look at where things are going now. 
um, even with the NIL, you've got uh, the the HBCU school that grabbed the number one prospect in the nation to go be coached by Dion, and he gets what is that a million dollars in NIL right off the bat? And you got um, you got a quarterback from Alabama getting a million dollars off the bat, hadn't ever taken a snap for Alabama. And you got Spencer Rattler making a couple hundred thousand dollars from raising canes and then gets benched by Caleb Williams, who goes off to play with damn you, Lincoln Riley <laughs> goes off to, to, to USC with Lincoln Riley and gets a, a, at least a million dollars there. But while he was in the transfer portal before he'd made his decision, he was offered like uh, $3 million to go play at, an FCS school, you know, what, what is it, uh, being a coach, what are your thoughts on what initially was the NIL a year ago and where it has already morphed into this year? And if there were changes to be made, where would you make them? So I'll go ahead and set the record straight right now is that even before NIL, even before the transfer portal, and this will shock a lot of listeners, but I was pro student being able to transfer, and I was pro them being able to profit off of their name, image, or likeness. And for, um, I guess I'll just really talk about that first because um, college athletics, purely amateur, and this is not the professionals. And let's just say that, you know, again, I'm from Tennessee. If there's a student at the University of Memphis, Johnny, and he wants to transfer to Vanderbilt, right? And he is not an athlete and that he can do that as freely as he wants to, as long as he can get into that institution. If this is truly amateur athletics, amateur football, and this is about education, then an athlete should be able to do the exact same thing within certain reason or limitations. Obviously, playing a sport has some caveat to it, but if it's not the if it's not professional athletics, they should be able to do that because they're students, they're trying to get an education, and they should be able to transfer for the same reason that any other student that goes to that ins- institution that does not play athletics. And I felt very strongly that and I actually uh, I think the one-year transfer rule um, I feel that that was a step in the right direction because you guys know life we all have our own lives and that um, it can get messy sometimes and that you know we don't always make the right choices about places or uh, about uh, whether that's career whether that's relationships you know uh, not getting not getting on a soapbox or getting into coach mode or anything but um, there are instances where you might pick a school and you might get there and realize that this isn't the right place for you. And so I'm glad that that's there. And I even love it for those grad transfers. That's actually my favorite thing because uh, one of the big criticisms that I hear is that, oh, it's not like that in the real world, right? In the real world, you would get fired or in the real world, this or the real world, that. Well, in the real world, these young student athletes sign an agreement to go to a school and to earn a degree and to play sports. And what's cool about it now is that you can get your degree in three years. If you're redshirt your first year, played your, uh, your, your other two, that means that you have two years of eligibility and you've already got that undergrad like in your hand, put it in your pocket. And so you're able to go out there 
and to be a grad transfer. And I just think that's awesome because we're rewarding student athletes for finishing the job, for doing what they signed up to do. And that's accountability. That's hard work. That's determination. That's great. Those are all those buzzwords that everybody likes to use. So I think that that's awesome. Um, but obviously there's always a double-edged sword to it, um, with transferring because you think that the grass is always greener on the other side, which now I'll get into the NIL portion of it. First, do you guys have any questions about how I feel (laughs) about the transfer aspect of it? No, I think, I think most people feel that way nowadays. There's, I mean, there's some. I get. I don't know if you want to call them traditionalists or just people stuck in some old ways that just really don't want to see change and progress. <laughs> but you know, I I like the perspective that you give, and uh, I I agree with you. Of course. Yeah, I just if the NCAA stance is preparing uh, young people to go pro in something other than sports, we need to be setting them up for the best example for, or I guess. Uh, the best path to do that. And we have to be real with ourselves and realize that that might not be at our institution as hard as that might be to stomach sometimes, which puts the onus back on the coaches and those universities to make sure that we're doing our due diligence in the, in the recruiting process and that we're getting uh, the student athletes that want to be a part of our universities and a part of our cultures. And that uh, we build those right relationships, which brings me to the NIL talk is that, uh, again, NCAA, if we're preparing people to go pro in something other than sports, why would we hinder them from profiting off of themselves at a young age where they can build off that as they continue uh, to grow up? I think the one uh, – I think there was one specific case that I saw a couple years ago where there was a punter at Central Florida. You guys might have seen this in the news too, but before he got – to central Florida, I believe, or even if he didn't, and he was doing it while he was a student, but he would make YouTube videos of him doing yes. like hunting trick shots. Right. Are you guys familiar yeah. with yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. And so he would do like videos of him doing trick shots or whatever, have just an insane amount of views. And obviously uh, if I'm a, uh, you know, a company that wants to market myself, I want to put some ads on some videos that have like hundreds of thousands of views. And so he was doing that and the NCAA made him shut it down. And that just frustrated me because I'm trying to look at it from the overall perspective, just, and I, and I think about other people that are talented from a young age and I'm like, did they make Taylor Swift go sing in the Vanderbilt chorus for four years before she started profiting off of that voice of hers? Absolutely not. Right. And then it's like uh, tiger, I'm wrong, but Tiger Woods started playing when he was just super young, right? And it's like, did they make him go through, you know, four years of undergrad and all this stuff before he started making money off of his golf skills? The answer is no. And so it just really didn't sit right with me that these young people have these gifts, these talents, these abilities, and that we're able to, you know, um, be able to profit off that and to uh, set them up better for their future and that uh, governing bodies weren't allowing them to do that. So I think from just from that aspect, pro, I think it's great that, that, that they can do that. And um, but, but obviously, a lot to be said about it. I, I wish that we would have thought it through a little bit more because it was kind of like very little to no litigation right out of the gate. And it was kind of like, 
everything's go like full go green light nothing is off limits and we're kind of seeing the fallout from that we've opened pandora's box and we're trying to stuff everything back in because we see that uh just allowing anybody to let the money flow um from companies to boosters student athletes that it's that there's a lot of uh, avenues that we weren't expecting nil to be used for and uh, that's become a big concern. I think you guys have seen some of those stories, Tyler, especially if you were talking about um, certain certain coaches, West Coast. Well, there was, I did read a story today. Um, I don't know if you know much into it, so we don't have to go into massive detail. Uh, but the NCAA did release, uh, I believe it was a statement today, um, and uh, they, they have not come to a full-blown decision or new set of rules, uh, but it does sound like some new rules for NIL will come down, um, uh, mitigating, if not blocking, boosters from being able to provide money for the NIL. Right, that is correct. And I think that's the first major thing that needed to have happen because if you've been on Twitter or been on social media, you've seen uh, different institutions have boosters get involved and uh, really kind of looks at from the onset is that you have these people outside of the football program luring student athletes, whether they're transfers, whether they're high school kids, uh, high school players to be attracted to come pay for their, the institution of their choice based off of uh, pure money and pure NIL deal, which was not what NIL instituted to do. NIL was instituted so that a player could be able to profit from his name, image and, and likeness, not so boosters or people of interest of a certain organization could put money in the pockets of uh, any prospective student athlete to get them to get him to, or at least in football to get him to come to that institution. I think that we're all quickly realizing that. And uh, those, those deals you see on, on, on Twitter and online can get kind of, you know, out of, out of hand, but um, I see all of, all of the good that can be done from it. Um, I don't have the, the tweets in front of me right now, but I see so many players are using their NIL money for like student camps during the summer, for um, fundraisers, uh, for um, non nonprofit organizations and uh, different charitable groups that they're trying to raise money for. And this is something that we've done a poor job because we've been saying that they're not able to, to do that for years and years and years. So I'm glad that that's being able to be done. And um, I don't know if I, if I told you all about this or not, but a couple of our super seniors that we had this past year at Coastal, they had an NIL deal might be the coolest NIL deal possible, but it was with Carolina Limo. And here's what the stipulation was. was Yeah, I'm not lying. It was with the Carolina Limo here in uh, Myrtle Beach that the limo company to pick, pick the guys up on game day and take them to the facility. If the players had any relatives or anybody flying in uh, to the Grand Strand to watch the game that evening or that day, the limo company had to pick them up from the airport and to bring them to the game. And then if we won the game, then the limo company had to take everybody to where they were going that evening. And uh, this was great because they weren't actually uh, paid in cash, but it was just uh, their payment was, hey, promote us on your social media network. And so they would be sitting there, Snapchatting, Instagram story, all of that good stuff. And so I think that stuff is a lot of fun, man. And uh, I'm happy for my guys being able to, to do that. And I think about the uh, 
like the fullback tight end for Kansas that caught that that caught the reception that beat Texas, right? And he got that uh, deal with Applebee's. Like that's hysterical, man. Come on, like football is supposed to be fun. Like this is a good thing. It's all of those other things that are getting in involved. And really, there's just a lot of complicated questions because, like, let's say that I am a person of interest, and maybe I take some of my, you know, hedge fund and put a million dollars in somebody's pocket to come play for my institution. And then I realize that that kid is either not playing or he is playing and he's not winning ball games. Does the accountability fall? Like, do I get my money back? Do I, do I, I, I can't cut the kid, right? Like if we're talking with the NFL, right? You're, you know, thinking of ways you can get that or if it's the NFL, you're, you know, maybe having to talk with somebody in the front office about player personnel, like who who got this person in here. There would be accountability from the coaching, from the personnel, but there would be no accountability at that standpoint. And that's just a hypothetical, but man, like that opens a lot of just really uh just murky water. And truth be told, guys, that's that's murky water that I personally don't want to go into right there. I think uh college football should uh should be for the student athletes for the people involved with the program, for the people involved with those universities and bottom line, it should be fun. Football should be fun. So I'm hoping that any uh, legislation that they pass will uh, be in an effort to keep the game fun and to keep it as fair as possible, to be as representative as possible from all the levels and from coast, coast to coast with it. So I know that was a long answer, but that's kind of how I feel about transfer portal, how I feel about NIL. They needed to happen, but uh, we need to streamline it a little bit, in my opinion, or it can really get out of hand. It can get out of hand fast. And, you know, the, the NCAA has been a polarizing figure, you know, for a while now. You know, there have been a lot of people upset with certain rules and regulations. So it's one of those things where you want it to be used properly and without the regulation, people are taking advantage of it. So something's got to come down. You just hope that the NCAA handles it properly and you know they don't you know have any other corruption you know that goes along with it um moving forward right and at the end of the day looking for football players that want to play football uh plus it goes with football we're looking for guys that love the game of football that don't come to us and the first question they have is what type of nil do you have for me coach we're looking for guys that uh want to be a part of something bigger than themselves that want to uh, have the best four years of college possible to get an, to get an education and to uh, go win some football games, to go win a conference championship and see if we can't make any uh, waves as far as bowl season goes or be knocking on the door for the college football playoff. So that'll always be the uh, standard in that bottom line there. But, um, you know, when you ever have something new and something shiny right there, especially with the way that the internet is and you have all of these, you know, 14 to 18-year-old um student athletes or um, just people in high school at that adolescent age, they just see that and they just want to grasp onto it and they want it now. And um, it's really tough to try to explain to, uh, I say young people, but it's tough to explain to adults as well, that uh, some of those finer things in life that you can get them um, immediately like that, like an NIL deal, you know, or that money, but, um, or, or a championship ring, you know, that you've got to work, work for that. So um, here's, Here's here's hoping that uh, NIL and uh, the transfer portal go in the right direction. I believe that they did pass legislation maybe even this week or late last week that they're going to have two specific periods 
that you can transfer. And then if it's not in those two periods, like you can't do it because that's going to bring a little bit of um, just order to the roster because it, from a coaching perspective, it is, uh, it's been a little bit crazy when a player can jump in and out of the portal whenever they want to, because of those scholarship spots and whether you're going to find just a replacement, but just a person who's going to be able to help your team in that short of amount of time. So I was glad to see that that legislation came through because that'll help out uh, coaches and programs across the country with making sure that their rosters are right and making sure that the uh, student athletes that are there at those institutions that, um, that they, that they've got a place and that they know that they've, that they've got a place to play at. That's awesome. I think, I think those are all good things. NCAA is finally getting some traction on actually doing their jobs correctly. It feels like uh, even just a little bit, because it seems like for, for quite a few years there, the NCAA just really didn't know what they were doing or how to run their business properly. Um, but as we kind of land this plane here, I, I want to get, you know, you've given us some really good answers. I, I want to get a, just a little bit more personal before we wrap this thing up here. And, and uh, obviously you have been my coach at, at a, at a D2 NAI school. Um, you have walked that out and have gotten yourself from an FCS program to, to a team that's gone, you know, uh, G five, uh, NCAA division one, um, you've helped them win their first bowl game. You ranked in the top 25 as a, as a non-power five school. I mean, you guys have already made so many milestones and there are clearly many more to go, but what are some personal milestones for you, um, moving forward in your career? Are you looking to uh, move to a power five school? Are you looking to be uh, a coordinator or a head coach? Are you looking to maybe get in the NFL one of these days? Like what are, what are some goals and aspirations for one Josh Caraway? <laughs> well, number one, uh, thanks for that kind lead up there, Tyler. Uh, definitely enjoyed our time out in uh, Nebraska at that uh, NAA, NAI slash D2 Midland. Shout out to Fremont. Good times. Uh, but, um, what's crazy, Tyler, is that I never thought I would be in this position to begin with. You kind of know my story. I wanted to be a high school coach. I wanted to be a high school teacher and, uh, to help kids at the high school level, because that's my high school coach was instrumental in, uh, mentoring me and to uh, helping me become a man through the sport of football. So I have to sit back some days and think it's kind of crazy that I'm even at coastal Carolina, the, you know, coaching in D one FBS ball. But as far as the future goes, man, uh, just there's so many different opportunities and I'm so thankful. I'm so blessed to be in this uh, spot to be. But uh, for specifics, I don't think I've ever wanted uh, to go to the NFL. Um, I don't want to say never because you because you never say never. Uh, Brian Caraway taught me that one. But um, I'm getting to the point where uh, there's a couple of guys in my coaching network that are with NFL teams and have NFL connections. So, um, that would be pretty, pretty cool to be able to maybe someday to, uh, go and go and do that. Uh, one of our assistant coaches, um, who just left, uh, uh, coastal Rod Wilson, he actually has gone back to the uh, chiefs. So he's working with, um, the uh, chiefs right now. He was with you guys when, uh, y'all won the super bowl. So he's there right now. Like I said, I've got a coaching friend of mine who's with the Rams right now. Um, I was pretty pumped to announce this, going to give him a shout out here on the uh, podcast 
uh, student assistant at Coastal Carolina, Christian Mitchell, helps with the special teams. He just landed a internship with the Colts this summer. So uh, really fired. Oh, yeah, man. He's going to be graduating this December, so he's going to be able to do that. So I'm proud of him. And so, you know, you never know. Maybe an NFL shot happens. As far as college ball goes, uh, would love uh, would love the opportunity to be at uh, a Power 5 school just because, like, I grew up watching SEC football, right? You know, I'm trying to step away from being a coach for a second. And just, like, how, how cool would that be uh, to be, you know, be joining such a fraternity right to have been able to coach in some of those big big time games and some of those big time stages so that would always be really cool to be able to do what I what I do at the uh, power five level um would be interested in staying at the uh, group of five level maybe you know getting promoted to be the full out special teams coordinator um at a school or something like that and then um I've actually made lots of contact with um some coaches at the FCS level or at the division two level um, obviously if you know, you go down levels, I would be able to, um, be a little bit more higher in the hierarchy of that team, whether it would be like a coordinator or, um, you know, something of that aspect. And then, um, you know, it's just, it's really exciting to think about the, uh, future and think about where I, where I could go. And one thing that I am thankful for Tyler is that I'm such an adventurer. I love going different places. I love seeing new things and that football has already, as far as the career goes, I'm still young. I'm 33. I've already seen so many different places, met so many interesting and unique people. And so I'm, I just get excited. Like I'm excited talking about it right now. And I know I've already kind of hashed out that I think that this could be another like great year for the Shans. We've got a lot of work to do, but I think this could uh, really be another good year for us. But um, if we uh, are able to take care of business, this this year, you know, it's exciting to think about what could be on the horizon after that. So, NFL stay at the level that I'm that I'm at right now. Maybe be a coordinator one one day, or you know, maybe I follow in the steps of Coach Jamrog, and you know, maybe I'm a head head coach somewhere one day. That would be really really neat too. So, um, I'm really excited, regardless of wherever football might lead me. That's right. Well, you've got a lot of things going for you. You've got a lot of connections. Um, and man, it's always great sitting down, talking with you. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping one of these days that we finally get to get back face to face, um, no matter where it is. Uh, cause I do, I do miss seeing you around the campus. Oh yeah, man. You gotta love that midday walk over That's to right. the uh, cafeteria there in, uh, <laughs> Fremont. And you know what? I heard they have a Raising Cane's now, which is I, probably I go good. Back. Yeah, it's I go back often. They it's it's absolutely blown up. They've got a raisin canes, a, a B dubs, uh, a Jimmy John's. Like it, it, there's so much in Fremont now. It's ridiculous. I'm actually thankful that there wasn't a raisin canes whenever I was there because I would literally be over 300 pounds if there was a raisin cane <laughs> there whenever I was there. I would have figured out some way to eat there more times than not, and uh, that's the bottom line, as uh, Stone Cold would say. <laughs> God, don't you wish Stone Cold ever did a, a Raising Cane's bit? Like, I went down to the Raising Cane's. Hey, <laughs> Got some listen, sauce. you want to <laughs> you want to talk about two of the greatest uh, <laughs> promotional guys ever? Stone Cold, Steve Austin, and Dusty the American Dream Rose. Like, <laughs> phenomenal promotions. You cannot Dusty Rose, them, dude. <laughs> Dusty Rose, the American Dream, baby. Dude, I, yes. Oh, my God. Maybe maybe one day I can get on that level of giving a pregame speech, but um, 
I'm I'm not there yet. Maybe I just keep watching old old promos, but uh, we'll see if I ever get there. <laughs> got to start writing them out, man. You got to write them out and practice them <laughs> in the mirror. That's how it happens. <laughs> I don't know if I'm that good of a writer. I might need a ghostwriter, dude. Y'all might be able to help me out with that. <laughs> Send it our way. Hey. <laughs> well, man, I, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's like I said, it's been great talking with you. Uh, hopefully, we'll reach out here when the uh, when the Titans game goes up. I'll uh, I'll keep in touch throughout the season and be cheering you guys on like I do every year. Uh, I know there's going to be great things coming forward for you. Uh, but as always, man, just just thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. And if you guys are ever out here on the East Coast, man, you're ever in the uh, dirty Myrtle Beach area, y'all just let me know and we'll have to uh, get to we'll have to get together, go get some airbrush T-shirts and go eat some funnel cake down at the boardwalk, man. man we'll do that. We'll do that. Well, uh, everybody, thank you for joining us. I'm Tyler Savite and I follow me on Twitter at underscore Suavage underscore uh, follow Tybo and the show at TLCFP. You can follow mm-hmm. Coach T2CFP. Come on T2CFP. I, I mess it up every time. Uh, make sure to go and follow Coach Josh Caraway at Coach Caraway. That's Caraway with one R. Uh, it's spelled the exact way that it sounds. Um, but uh Thank you all for listening. And as always, go cheat, go cheat.